The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so I'd like to welcome you all here this morning to the Buddha Loka Center, the BSV. Um, uh, it's good to see people coming here in person giving up their Sunday morning to come and listen to the Dhamma and practice the meditation and keep the precepts and also anybody that is potentially tuning in online. Um, just a quick note, if you if you have questions throughout, if you're online, you can type them into the chat box or whatever it is and um, you can maybe also people here think of any questions that you might have for later. So it's, as I said, it's very good to see you all, all, all here to come and do this. Uh, come and practice these things and my my assumption with most people that come here to to practice dhamma practice meditation is at some level you know you all in some level i'm assuming you all want to be a better person this is one of the reasons why you come and do something like this but what 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 is it actually that does make you a better person is it just one single great thing that you do obviously not it's what makes you a better person is these things that you do day in and day out and in short what those things that you do day in and day out all the time are your habits now habits are something that that they're really really important in our lives but we don't really think about them too much uh they take up so much of your day it's it's something like about 40 percent of your days involved in in just in in automatic pilot on habits but we very rarely think about these kinds of things and when we do think about these things we have this kind of general understanding well this is a good habit this is a bad habit this is a good habit regarding my health this is a good habit regarding my you know my time management and so while these things are important uh, there there's another aspects of habit there's another aspect of habit that is i think is more important or or, or is more important for, you, for for you to actually become a good person and that's the habits that we have around our ethical conduct the habits that we have around our morality um we like, likewise, that we don't spend much time thinking about our normal habits. We don't spend that much time thinking about our ethical habits. But these are the things that really give us satisfaction and contentment with our life because of the way that we're actually behaving. So that's what I thought I'd talk about this morning is how your habits are really tied to your morality and how these things are uh, intertwined. And, and just as a disclaimer note, I was thinking about this this morning, just as a disclaimer note, what I will be talking about this morning is not necessarily explicitly Buddhist. So just to, just to put that out there at the start, but hopefully it, it overlaps with some aspect of any kind of moral framework and moral output that you actually might be having. So what I'll talk about is, you know, exactly what habits are. You need to understand what they're comprised of and how we you know, develop good habits and get rid of bad habits. But then I'll go over exactly how your morality is really, really tied to your habits and, you know, ways that we can 
look at the kinds of moral habits that we have and you know to see where we're having some kind of shortcomings or where we're having where we where we're doing good and we're actually having a good pattern of, of habits so to start with exactly you know exactly what is a habit well a habit is any any series of behaviors that you repeat over and over again uh, until it becomes some kind of mental shortcut for you to get a particular kind of reward. Um, we obviously know about good habits and bad habits that we might have, but in actuality, good habits and bad habits, they're comprised of the same, exact same thing. They, they have certain factors to them that make them exactly the same. Usually when we think of something like a bad habit, um, we think of a bad habit as something that gives us a negative reward, but why do we keep doing it if it's a bad habit? Well, it does actually, does actually offer you something, but usually a bad habit will give you some kind of uh, reward in the present very quickly, but later down the track it will, it will cause you some kind of uh, negative, there'll be some sort of negative response there, whereas a good habit that may be something like uh, that, 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 that maybe in the present isn't so great, but later on down the track, it is, is very good for you. So obviously the example of like a bad habit is, you know, like sitting on the couch and eating a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Like it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's awesome to eat. There are so many donuts, but later down the track, this is not a good thing for you. Likewise, a good habit, you know, you get up at six o'clock in the morning and go for a run. This is not the easiest thing to do, but later down the track, this is something that's very good. So any habit, a good and a bad habit, they're comprised of three main things. So the first thing is some kind of reward that it actually gives you. You instantiate some sort of series of behaviors to get a reward and it actually, and it makes you feel good or it gives you some kind of benefit. And so for example, an example of that is like for me, like I drink a lot of coffee. And so whenever I'm feeling sluggish or I'm just not functioning properly, it's like I need the reward of a coffee and I, and I have a coffee, speaking of. I remember what I'm talking about and have more coffee. So, so, uh, so any kind of habit gives you a reward in some sense, good or bad. Now, uh, the next part about what a uh, next component of what a habit is involved in is a routine. So you have some sort of sequence of, of behaviors and actions that lead you towards that particular reward that you are going to get. And because you repeat these, this sequence of this routine over and over again, it becomes like a shortcut. It becomes like a mental shortcut for you to get this reward that you actually got in the past. And like the cool thing, the cool thing about, say, for example, habits and these kinds of uh, reward things is, is the brain, it doesn't just remember one thing that you did to get a particular kind of reward. It remembers a whole sequence of events and it chunks them all together. So that's why, that's why sometimes it's hard for us to break a bad habit because you're, 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 in effect, you're using, you, you're, you're operating in a different kind of way if you're actually sort of using more like the reasoning kind of, uh, your reasoning kind of function. This isn't something that drives your habit. It's more the automatic parts of you that are, that are driving it. So say for example, say for example, where, 
an example, sorry, an example of this is like driving. When you first learn to drive, it's really, really hard. You have to, you know, you don't know how to hold the steering wheel. You don't know how to use your feet on the brakes and the accelerators. And it's, there's cars and things buzzing all around you. And it's, it's really complex. But after you do it over and over and over again, this process becomes automatic. It's, and it's a very complex process. And you don't really have to think about it anymore. You can just get in the car and drive and think about other things. So that's where some kind of, uh, 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 sequence of behaviors happens and this is that gives you the routine that actually instantiates your habits so the other the third part of what uh, comprises of habits so you have a reward you have some sort of routine but then the next part is the, the like the context and the environment that this thing that this thing uh, happens in so what I mean by that is the it, uh, context can be anything. It can be like people around you. It can be a time of the day. It can be a certain kind of situation, but it also can be different kinds of moods and emotions that you might have. So, and, ex and what happens in those particular kind of contexts, you have particular kind of cues and it's sort of, once the cues come up, you start to get this feeling that you want this particular reward again. So again, the automatic behaviors roll on to get you the reward because of the cues in the environment. So again, using coffee, like for me, an example of this is my routine. It's like if I'm feeling sluggish, it's like, oh, okay, I've got to go and got to go and make a coffee. And so I wander into the kitchen and I go through this pretty pretty full-on routine of grinding and weighing and you know, water at particular kinds of temperatures and you know, doing timing things and all these kinds of things. So I go through this complex set of behaviors. And the context that I'm in at the time is I'm in the kitchen, so I think, yeah, I'd like a coffee now. So all these things act together to instantiate some kind of, some kind of habit. So that's what habits are comprised of. There's a reward. There's a routine and there's a context that they occur in. Now, so, okay, so that's what a habit is. What, how do we actually like, you know, develop good habits and how do we get rid of bad habits? Well, obviously I've just said it's like, it's like you're on autopilot and all these can, and the, the environment's sending you all these cues and you're just, you're, you're at the mercy of these things. But, but actually knowing what those three things are actually gives you the tools to change the kinds of habits that you have. So the tools of that is the environment that you're in, the context that you're in. We can change aspects of our environment around us, the things around us to help us get rid of bad habits. This is, this is obviously an example of why, say for example, like if somebody's an alcoholic, they don't, they don't go into a bar. If they go into the bar, they fall back into the bad habits. Or if they get around alcohol, they fall back into the bad habits. You know, likewise, if you're trying to, to lose weight and give up fast food, the, the last thing you want to do is like go and sit in the middle of the food court in the mall and you know, just try to like not eat any of the fast foods or whatever it is. So if we can change some other cues in our environment to the context of our environment, this can actually help us, actually help us break bad habits and develop new good habits. Also, making it very easy for ourselves to do these things. So say for example, say for example, a bad habit that you might have is you, you, you spend too much time on your phone on some kind of social media app. You know, the easiest way to 
stop doing that is to actually just delete the app. Make it hard for yourself to actually engage in that behavior. Put a few steps there in between so you can, so it, it's harder for you to actually uh, do that behavior. And so you might be able to do these things. You might be able to change some parts of the context and you might be able to break the pattern of the routine. But you also remember the thing about habit is they give you some kind of reward. So you have to find something else that will actually give you the reward that you need. So say, for example, you know, a habit a lot of people have, end of the day, you've worked, you've done a lot of work, you're, you're, you've spent a day, you're exhausted, you want to unwind. The kind of habit you have is maybe sitting on the couch and like watching a lot of TV and you end up doing it late into the night. So the reward that you're getting from that is you're unwinding. So you can't just go, well, I'll just change things in my environment and I'll change the, you know, I'll flip the TV around or put it away uh, and just not have any reward there. You do, you still need to unwind. So you do need some kind of reward. So you have to replace that with something that's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit better. So say, for example, you wanted to learn to read, you wanted to read more, you know, you keep the books closer to you and you use reading as a way to unwind. So we need to change some things in our environment. We need to break up the, the pattern, the habit patterns, and we need to change it with more, with more uh, appropriate, appropriate kinds of uh, rewards that we can get. There's a, there's a cool book on, there's, there's a few cool books on habits, but there's one by um, somebody called James Clear. Uh, he's, and he talks about you know, four main different things that we can do to actually like to develop better habits. The first is that you need to make it obvious for you to do. So say, for example, you want to do more meditation. You have to make it very obvious of, of doing meditation. You know, put a meditation cushion in the middle of your living room or something. Make it obvious that, uh, make it obvious that it's there in your environment. That's something that you want to develop. The second one is make it attractive to do. You know, think of the kinds of rewards you'll get from that, the kind of person that you become. You know, I'll be somebody who has a good meditation practice. I'll be somebody that practices, um, uh, I'll be somebody that spends a lot of their time doing meditation. These are, these are the things that make it attractive for you to want to do this. And then you, you make it, you make it easy for you to do. Again, put these things close to you. You know, say for example, with your phone, if you want to like give up looking at your phone so much and you want to learn to like read more books, it's surprising how much just putting your phone away somewhere and having a book closer will actually change that. If it's easy for you to actually access this thing, the more likely you'll be able to, you'll be able to do it. And the final thing is, is make it satisfying. You have to make it something where it's, you know, you do get a reward from it. You get this kind of like good feeling from it. So there's those four, four components, make it obvious, make it uh, attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. That's from James Clear in a book, Atomic Habits, I think it was. And so if you want to break a bad habit, you just do the inverse of that. You make something invisible, again, with the social media things, just you delete the app, you make it unattractive, you think about what it's like to be a person that spends their life like looking at their phone like this the whole time. You don't want to be that person, so it becomes unattractive. You make it hard to do, you put some friction there. As I said, delete the apps, you put the phone away at a certain, at a certain time, and you make it unsatisfying so you think of you think of all the 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 sort of 
or you know, put some sort of consequence. Okay, if I spend too much time on YouTube, then I put five dollars in a jar or something. I don't know, some sort of consequence. So all that tied together now. So what habits are they? There's a there's a reward. There's some kind of there's a routine involved in it, and there's some kind of context. And if you want to uh, develop better habits, you just you make it make your contextual cues obvious. You make them uh, you make them attractive to do. You make it easy, and you make it and you make it satisfying. Now, after laying all that all that long long groundwork, I'll I'll, I'll actually explain to you now why habits tie to your morality so much. It's a lot of preamble there, but it, it does all make sense in the end. Trust me. So, how do how does your morality actually tie into your habits? Well, the things that you do day in day out, every little action that you take is a measure of the person that you are. Every behavior that you undertake, and every everything that comes out of your mouth, this, this is actually the measure of who you who you are. And if you're spending so much of your life automatically operating under habits, this is actually impacting the way that you behave and you speak. So anything, any kind of moral thing that you do, this is actually a result of the kinds of moral habits that you've built up. We might think that you know just doing one big good thing, this is the thing that's going to make this, this will make me a moral person. If I save the little girl from the train, this I'm going to become a moral hero and then I'm a good, then I'm a good person. But that's not really the case. If you just do one good thing but then fail to look at the habits that you're doing, the moral habits that you're doing day in and day out, then you're not really going to be a moral person. This is like... This is like somebody that you know has a very very messy has a messy house, and you know. For, but for once they go, okay, uh, I've got a messy house, so I'm just going to clean this thing up. And you can clean you can clean the house up, but if you don't change the habit patterns of your cleaning habit patterns, your house is just going to get messy again. So, likewise with our morality, if you just do one good thing, you might feel good about yourself for a little while. But if you don't change those habits, you're just going to go back to being, you could say, like being in morally ambiguous situations. And the thing with your moral habits as well, and you have to be very circumspect with them, is that all of us think that if there's some sort of big moral issue that you, you see somebody on the news that's done something morally reprehensible and you think, I'd never, I'd never do something like that. That wouldn't be me. I'd, I'd stand up, I'd stand up, I'd say something, I'd be the one that, you know, I, that I'd refuse to do this thing. But the reality is, is you probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't do these things if you haven't developed good moral habits to begin with. If you're making exceptions for yourself in all these little behaviors that you do, when it actually comes time for something big to happen, you're more likely not to act in that instance because you haven't developed those kinds of habits. But if you have developed these good moral habits, when it does, when something is important, you're more willing to actually, you'll be more, oh sorry, you'll be more likely to actually perform 
perform those actions. So our for us to be a good person, be a moral person, it's not about just doing this one thing. It's about doing things over and over and developing our habits. If you, say for example, you want to become like a writer, you know, writing one sentence doesn't make you a writer. But what that actually is, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like points towards becoming a writer. It's like a vote for you becoming a writer. One sentence doesn't make you a writer, but if you keep writing many, many sentences over and over and over and over and over in over many years, at some point you sort of like cross this invisible line where now all of a sudden, oh, hang on, I'm a writer. But that came about through developing, through writing many, many individual lines. So likewise with our morality, it's not about this one thing that's off there in the off there in the future. It's about the causes and conditions you put in every day of all the different kinds of uh, small moral behaviors that you do day in and day out that actually get you to this. So it's not about doing one big thing. What it's about is living a lifestyle where one is moral and one is being circumspect with one's moral actions. So how do we how do we change any kind of moral behavior that we might have that we maybe think it's, it's more acting more in a negative way? Or how do we develop good moral habits? Well, it's, it's the same, pro all the groundwork I laid before, it's the same process. You have to identify these different aspects of the way that you're behaving and you have to do these different things to actually change it. And we have to be very, we have to be really, really circumspect and really honest with ourselves. Because as I said, most of the time we might do one good thing, but we forget all the other bad things that we do. Or the, or the, let's not call them bad, let's at least just call them morally ambiguous things that we do. We can turn a blind side to these things because we maybe just do this one thing. So we have to be very circumspect. We have to really identify what kind of habits we have around our morality. You have to look and really examine yourself. It's like, you know, do you tell little white lies sometimes. Do you maybe like take a pen or two from the office and yeah, it's fine, it's not gonna it's not gonna matter. Nobody's gonna worry. Do you, you know, just you know a, a good a good one to do is like do you cross the street when the like the, the little man is on red? Like see if you can hold that eye and I'll be honest, I, I don't do it all the time, so I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty as everyone else. We all have our moral shortcomings in some way. But the point I'm getting at is, one, you have to be really honest with yourself. You have to really take an inventory of how you behave day in and day out in all these very, very small things to actually to build your good moral habits and to get rid of your bad moral habits. So, you know, how do we... How do we do this? How do we do it? As I said, you look at those three things. You look at the reward, you look at the routine, and you look at the context. So say, for example, what is, I'll use, I'll use like white lies as an example because, you know, we're all sort of guilty of those to some extent. So say, for example, with a white lie, what's the reward of that? Well, if you again, if you remember short and long term, long term things, in the short term, it might give you a reward if if your if your spouse or your significant other says, "Do I look fat in this?" 
you, you know, the short-term reward. No, you look great. You look totally good. Short-term reward, you've avoided some sort of confrontation. You've avoided a problem. You've, you yourself have got a reward from that. You, you're fine. You're fine. You haven't, you haven't had to deal with the problem, so you're fine. But what about the long-term effects of that? What are you doing with your relationship to this person if you're lying to them? What are you doing to your relationship with this person if you know that there's somebody whose opinion you, they can't trust? What are you doing in the long term with these things? So we can see white lies, they're a, they're a negative habit because it might give you some kind of pleasurable thing in the short term, but in the long term, this is not, this is not a good thing to be actually, uh, uh, not a good thing for us. And so what's the routine around that? Well, if using the same example, it might be you're both, you're both getting ready in the morning, you're getting dressed, you're getting dressed, they're getting dressed, and you sort of know, okay, they're going to ask me, do I, do I look fat in this outfit or whatever it is. You know the routine that's actually happening that's sort of pushing you towards those, those, those white lies. You identify the routine that you're in. What's the context that you're in? Is it, you know, is it at home in the morning, in, in, in the morning, in the bathroom or whatever? Or is it in a different context? Maybe you engage in white lies when you, you know, you go to work and you're chatting with your colleagues at lunch and they ask you about your, you know, your weekend and you might tell a little, little lie to make it sound better or something. So you have to be very circumspect and identify these, these things. What's the reward? What's the routine? What's the context that you, that you're involved in with uh, that you're involved in when you actually tell a white lie, and how do you change this? Well, you do those things that I was saying. You look at aspects of your of your environment, your context. What are the kinds of what are the environment that you're in? What part of that can you change? What can you make obvious to uh, what can what what parts of your environment can you make obvious to instantiate this behavior change? You know, like uh, you know, a, a, a good one. A good one I thought of was you know, one obvious thing is like you come to a Buddhist center. That's an, like a, that's a good environment if you want to be a truthful person. You come to a monastery. It's, there's no need to like engage in any kind of lying at a monastery or something. And then you look at you know, you make this thing attractive. And what do I mean by making something like being truthful attractive? Well. This is, if you think about the person that you want to be, do you want to be somebody that actually is willing to lie to get yourself off? Do, or do you want to be somebody who is you know, honest and truthful and whose, whose opinion actually matters? And, and, and when you do say something, it is actually helpful for another person. You then have to make it easy for yourself to do this behavior. And what's the easiest way to actually do this? You just make the decision. I, I, I don't lie. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what kind of the situation is. I just, I just don't do. That's a line I don't cross. Now, this is where I might lose some of you. It's like, oh, if I, if I have to tell the truth in every situation, that's going to ruin my life. This is, this is. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do this. But. <clears throat> What I mean by this is it's not that you blurt out everything that's on your mind. You, every sort of like 
toxic and critical thought that comes into your mind. You don't spew that out. You don't, if somebody asks you for your like bank account number, you don't give that to them just because you're being truthful and honest. It, you, but you become skillful with your way and you're telling the truth. If somebody asks you for their bank account, you say, I'd rather not give it to you. You don't give them like a false, false number. You I'd rather not give it to you. So you have to make it easy for yourself um, by setting up this thing of I just I don't lie. I tell I, I'm honest in my communication. That's why white lies are so appealing. They seem easy. And we move. We move the line. We think, okay, it's okay to lie in this situation. But, you know, if it's a bigger situation, I'm not going to do that. But again, if you're lying in these small situations, you're actually building up the habit of lying. What this is doing is changing you. Every time you say this, it's actually changing you a little bit, a little bit. So make it easy. Just You just determine I don't lie. And you have to make it satisfying. And so what's satisfying about being truthful with people? Well, this improves your relationships with people so much. You might think it might be... It might be uh, hard if you're actually telling people the truth all the time, but this actually, what this does for you is gives you more deeper and more rewarding relationships. You can actually talk to people about important things, not just these like superficial kind of, uh, you know, blase, blase topics. You can actually, if you're telling, if you're being honest with somebody, people know that and they'll respond in kind and you can have more deeper interactions with them. So, we really do have to be circumspect with every aspect of our morality. As I said, I'm just using white lies as an example. There might be other things that you that you maybe think in your life that okay, I'm I'm falling a little bit short on here, and and that's what you do. You identify, you identify the reward, the context, and the and the routine, and then you do those four steps. So this is something. You have to take a moral inventory of yourself and you have to be honest. It's, and so if you do any, you do notice that you're doing any of these things, it's not that you're necessarily a bad person. It's not that it's like, oh, well, I, I tell you know, white lies, so I'm a bad person. It's not that. This is just a habit that you've formed. Habits can be changed. Habits, there's ways to actually change your habits. So we just have to continue to work towards changing these habits, changing these automatic responses that we're having to different things in the environment. So really habits are things that they, they drive so much of our lives, but we just we don't spend that much time thinking about them and we don't spend that much time thinking about the consequences of them. But these are the things that really give us some kind of satisfaction in our life. And as I said, habits are comprised of three things, the 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 reward, the routine, and the context. And if you want to change and do better habits, then you you make these things obvious, make things in your environment obvious. You make them you make them attractive for you to do. You make them easy to do, and you make it satisfying for yourself to do. If you do those things, it it becomes easier for you to change your habitual patterns. And so, while most of us you know think about habits in terms of our health and our and our time management and our and our you know financial habits and things like that. That's important. That is contributing to your well-being and your and your happiness as well. But what's really 
what at least what I think is more important is the habits that you're actually developing around your morality, because these are the things that give you the measure of the person who you are. The moral, these small moral things that you do day in, day out, this is what gives people the indication of the, the kind of person that you actually are, not this one big thing that you may have done in the past. Um, and so if you don't work on your habits around your, your ethical, ethical conduct in these small ways, you're, when you actually are tested with a big moral quandary, you, if you, if you have worked on your moral habits, you're more likely to do that. But if you haven't, if you've just ignored your habits and you're just operating on a moral autopilot, then you're more likely not to step up when there's something very, very morally consequential. And so this is why, this is why actually focusing on your moral habits is so important because this gives you a measure of the person you are. And so you have to be very circumspect. You have to be very careful. You have to be, and take, and take really, you know, stringent in inventory of your own uh, behaviors, speech, and actions. Because every action that you do and everything that comes out of your mouth, this is a vote or this is a step towards the person that you're going to become. Every action, every step, every speech, every, every aspect of speech that you do, every word that you say, this is an opportunity for you to either go down a moral way or an immoral way. So you have to be very honest and you have to be watching these habits and just make sure you're not operating on some sort of uh, negative moral autopilot that's taken you into these morally spurious situations. And you want to make sure that the habits that you have around morality are, are, are guiding you in a more positive way. So... Maybe with that, that's probably enough of me, uh, enough of me talking now. So hopefully, hopefully uh, these things that I've said, hopefully it can be a benefit for you in some way, um, and hopefully you can use it. As I said, it's not an uh, again disclaimer. This the talk. It's not explicitly Buddhist, but it's just something that I've found very, very helpful for me in my own life and looking at my own, looking at my own habits and looking at my own moral habits and really trying to be uh, 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 circumspect with that. And for me, that's the thing. It, it's not, it was never just the, the Buddhist morality that I have, but it's, it's the actual habits of uh, moral habits that I've did, done day in and day out that is really, for me, that have, that have made a lot of difference. So disclaimer, it's, it wasn't a specifically Buddhist talk, but hopefully it helped you in some way. So now's the time. If you have any questions or you disagreed with anything I said, it's fine. You can just uh, come up and say something about it. Monday, thank you for the most inspiring uh, discourse. Uh, if uh, some some people walk on a paddock, the same route, mm. eventually a, a path is formed. Mm. You know that. You know? If you say some people walk on the same route, mm. a path is formed. Mm. Similarly, in the brain... Mm. These things uh, happen through uh, uh, chemicals and electricity and circuits, yep. uh, these habits. Yep. Uh, that is why we can sometimes use uh, drugs, chemicals yep. to block these habits. So um, 
when people have habit of getting angry or get paranoid delusions or even addiction to alcohol, uh, there are certain circuits of homes. So uh, the whole purpose is uh, to to reduce this, uh, blunt these circuits Mm. because if they are continuously used all the time, Mm. with a small stimulus, this fires. Mm, mm, mm. So how to change this, you block this and develop more uh, positive circuits, uh, which is done through cognitive behavior therapy. And and for that, mindfulness is used big time. Because mindfulness is most essential to know Mm. that you are preventing this fire in this bad circuit Mm. and to develop the new circuit. Mm -hmm. So this is what uh, we do in in medicine. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. On the say that it's a practice we do. Yeah, and and that's the thing about actually having, actually having some kind of meditation practice in that that uh, this does give you the capacity to be more circumspect with your own thoughts and your own actions and the and the speech that's coming out because of your because of your thoughts and the behaviour that's coming out because of your thoughts. You you notice you notice it a lot more you notice it in clearer detail. And so that's why something like a meditation or a mindfulness practice, it's so closely tied to your moral conduct. It's you can't you can't well you can have one without the other, but they 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 work in a symbiotic way. The more meditation and mindfulness that you actually have, the more you become aware of these different kinds of signals that are that are going off at different times and how it's driving you in different ways. The more you become aware of these things and the more you're able to just let them be and not not actually sort of follow them at every time, the more you're able to actually break these these bad moral habits that you might have. But the more you practice something like meditation, the more you actually see how these things, how your thoughts, speech, and actions are causing you harm. And not just you, but other people harm. So say, for example, you might, you might, you know, say something to somebody and if you're not very, if you're not very circumspect, you're not very mindful, you don't have a meditation practice, maybe you just don't note, you don't pick up on those small cues with people. It's like, oh, you made a small face at me. But with more of a meditation practice, you notice these things about people. You pay more attention to them. And so you can pick up on aspects of where you're harming someone else. And if, you, if you're acute and aware to how you're actually harming someone, that obviously has a negative impact on you. When you hurt someone, this obviously this doesn't feel good for you. So you want to change that behavior. So you're... Your circumspection from uh, meditation or mindfulness practice, how would you say, attunes you to the harm that you cause a lot more, and and the more, and then you, what you'll find is you'll want to obviously want to cause less harm to others, and especially left less harm to yourself. When you cause less harm to yourself, it's actually a lot easier for you to be calm. If you're continually causing harm to other people you're going to be thinking about oh i lied to this person how am i going to cover this lie up how you know i i said this bad thing to this person this is terrible uh if the more the more you know ethically you actually behave then this is a support for your meditation you don't have to worry about that you're not worrying about these things so much you're not worrying about 
uh, you know, how you're going to you're gonna, you know, cover up this money that you've embezzled or whatever it is or or you're not going to worry about you're not going to worry about you know having to sort of you know juggle many different lies in the air so that's where uh like a meditation practice and a mindfulness practice as well actually works in tandem with one's morality and that they both support each other um and i i it's it's very hard to not have one without the other you know they they do work together as i said if you don't have if you if you're acting in morally reprehensible ways it's it's much harder it's much harder for you to develop these calm and peaceful states of the mind and likewise when you get these calm and peaceful states of the mind you won't want to harm yourself or others as much so that's that's how they work together thank you for that talk ajang it was really great talk okay, good thanks um ajang the you, when you spoke about the lying, it was always in the context of myself and other. Yep. But sometimes there's um, the context of a lie that we're t- sort of telling ourselves. Mm. Yeah. So, for instance, an example could be, you know, if I, if I stay in this job, mm. it's going to make me happy. Mm. It's going to make me look yeah. Yeah, I'll just I'll repeat the question, yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. 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 Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the the question is is you know the talk that I just gave about habits and 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 for example lies that we actually that we might tell of a, a bad moral habit is the lie is the lie I, I spoke more in the context of when we lie to other people but the question was more about what about the these lies that we tell ourselves what about these things that we how how do we deceive ourselves and how do we how do we uh, not fall prey to that and that's so the answer to that is that's that's a that's a, it's a it's a good question and it's a difficult thing because you know if if you're the one that's lying to yourself it's hard to it's hard to actually tell what the truth is uh, a lot of the times um, most what we're doing is justifying our actions we're justifying our actions we're justifying our behavior we're justifying our our, our place in the world so we'll build up these kinds of stories around that uh, and because if we're if we're constantly you know constantly like breaking that apart then you know this actually isn't so this actually isn't so good for us like if you're always second guessing yourself and always doubting yourself and always you know, breaking every bit of it apart that mightn't be so good for for you as an individual so a lot of times we do 
lie to ourselves in some way, but it's, it's, you could say it's a, like an altruistic lie that you're trying to tell yourself. You're trying to appease yourself in some way and, and justify the actions that you've taken. These are much harder to notice, but one way you can notice them is that whenever you, whenever you like think about this thing, that there is this kind, this this like a negative valence, a negative emotional valence that that accompanies that. If you think about, okay, well, I you know I want to take this job, I want to take this job, and this will be actually yeah, this will be a great thing. This I'm, I'm and you're just convincing yourself. Deep down, you know, if you're really honest with yourself and you're really looking inside, deep down, you know that you're lying to yourself. So that's where, that's where we do have to think about these, uh, think about and practice and meditate on these important decisions in our lives, um, and really like be be courageous enough to know when you are actually lying to yourself. Because you know, at the at the bottom level, you do know when you're lying to yourself. Uh, you know, but you know, obviously, you just end up going on autopilot to, to keep going. But if you know, know in your heart of hearts that you're actually lying to yourself, then that's when the hard work comes. You know, it's, 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 it's hard to always be truthful to everybody else. It's a, but it's a skill you develop. It's something... As I said, it's not like you're just spitting out everything that comes to your mind to any individual. You become skillful in the way that you tell the truth to others. So likewise with yourself, you have to be honest that you're in this situation, I'm actually lying to myself. How do I develop skillful ways to tell the truth to myself? And you have to work at that. You, know, you have to work at that because it's so easy just to, you know, just to you know, go along go along with the flow but it is a skill that you can develop it's a skill that you can develop just like a skill of actually speaking the truth on the outside you it's a, the skill that you learn to speak the truth on the inside and why do you do that because for the same reason you you know speak the truth on the outside is because you don't want to harm another individual or you know that your lies actually harm another person so when you start to see the lies that you're telling yourself, the harm that it's actually causing yourself, that harm will start to outweigh any kind of any kind of comfort that we might feel just because we're sort of deluding ourselves in some way. But it's a process. You have to work and you have to work at it. You know, we're always uh, in some in some way we're always telling ourselves a story and it mightn't be the exact story. Um, obviously, in Buddhist terms, we have this story that. There's me, I'm an individual and I'm this person and there's, uh, there's a me that carries on you know, through existence. But in Buddhism, we say that, well, the, the thing that is a self, this is a, this is a process. This is not really something that is, that is, is true in the sense that we hold it. So in a way, we're just continually, continually deluded and lying to ourselves at all time. But we work at it. We work at it because we realize it's actually a problem and we realize that this attachment to an identity and a self 
this is something that's that's harming us. So we work as much as we can to overcome that. So likewise with lies that you tell yourself, you just have to keep working at it. Hopefully that answers the question. Are there any more questions in the hall before we go to the online questions? You can just ask in your seat and I'll repeat it if you don't want to come up to the mic as well. That's fine. Doesn't have to be about habits or you can ask me anything as well. While people are considering, I might ask a few of the online questions. Yeah, Ajahn, sure. Thank sure. you. First one's a nice, quick, easy one. Is it James Clear, Atomic Habits? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, might be a bit of a, that's the book, yes. Might be a bit of a rush on that book online this morning. <laughs> Next question. Um, also, also look at many Buddhist books as well. If you're yes. going to rush online to buy books, buy some Buddhist books as well. So. <laughs> Often bought with, yes. Um, how is the reward for a habit different from sensual pleasure? For example, you can eat chocolate after you do your homework as a reward. Hmm. Well, you know, it's rewards can come in many facets. Um, it can be it can be a reward from like uh, like a sensual reward, so like from a sensual pleasures reward, or you know, it could be it could be also uh, a, the reward of changing an emotional state as well. So, say for example, you're bored. You're, you're totally bored. Um, uh, how do you deal with boredom? Boredom is not a good thing to, uh, a good, good, good mental state, a good mood to be in. How do you do that? You change it by, you know, looking at your phone or something like that. So it's, it's not always just about having, you know, being, engorging oneself in sensual desires to, uh, give you the reward. It can be, it can be other things as well. Um, can be things about like changing your mood um, and it could be like different situations out in the world so I there's a lot of obviously and in that there's a lot of overlap every every experience that you actually have is a sensual experience you know you experience the world through your sixth sense of uh, sixth sense bases so everything that you're actually experiencing is a sense object and so there is some kind of sense desire I guess the one thing to consider as well is uh, uh, potentially what you're trying to do is uh, not just get a reward, but you're also maybe even just trying to get away from some kind of uh, bad feeling that you might have as well. There's some kind of uh, emotional state that you're trying to get away of. So you do a particular thing to change that mind state. So the reward might be is that you get away from this uh, potentially negative or painful uh, state that you're actually experiencing, but they are definitely very, uh, they are definitely very closely aligned. But I guess, and another thing to emphasize as well is that, is that it, it's not just a rewards, just not always something that's negative. It can be positive as well. Um, you're having, have you, because you've done some homework and it's like, well, this is the reward for sitting here for three hours and, and reading, you're reading this very, very boring text or whatever it is i have a chocolate it's, that's fine there's there's like nothing there's nothing wrong with the reward it's just more the only time it becomes uh problematic is when the you know that 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 reward is 
uh, influence, influence, influencing us negatively further down the track. Um, you know, you can, as, as I said, rewards are there for good habits as well. So it's not necessarily that, you know, having a chocolate after you're looked at your home, done your homework is a bad thing. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it is, if it is giving you some kind of negative, uh, outcome down the track, then, then, that is probably a little bit more problematic, and but yes, it is very closely tied to sensory sensory uh, pleasures. So, yeah. Thank you, Ajahn. Next one's um, just a long, longer question in three parts. I'll read it right through. Ajahn, you talk about habits, but when lay people seek refuge from the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, mm. do the five precepts that they take? Are the five precepts that they take a prerequisite for the granting of refuge? And then it goes on. For example, does a person who seeks refuge but who's unfortunately a drug addict, will they be denied refuge? What if he gives in to his addiction? Does the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha throw that person out like a pariah, even though that person is morally upright by being kind and helpful to others? Does not lie, does not harm, and does not steal. Was there a third part, or that's sorry, that's that's the whole question. Okay. Yeah, you well, want some more? That wasn't enough. No, no, no. That's enough. That's enough. That's 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 a, that's a full plate already. So, yes. so is it a requirement that a Buddhist uh, goes for refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and uh, uh, undertakes to take the five five precepts? The short answer is like yes, you. You, you make this the the as I said at the start when we gave the the three refuges and five precepts. You make this like the guiding principle of your life. Um, this 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 moral framework that we have of of not uh, not not killing, not stealing, not uh, engaging in sexual misconduct, not uh, t- telling any false speech, not taking intoxicants. This is the framework that we use. This is the framework that is, for us, is the, the line in the sand that you draw. Now, saying that, it doesn't mean that because you have now taken the three refuges and taken the five precepts, that everything that you do henceforth is pure and good. We fall. We fall off. We make mistakes. We... Um, we fall prey to our habits. We fall prey to, uh, say, for example, someone uh, addiction. Uh, addiction. It's it's that's that's a really tricky one because it's your the the definition of somebody that's being addicted is it's basically it's they're performing of a habit a habit that's out of their control. So if you have the predisposition to be addicted to something in some way, this is really, really hard for you to get that out. So it's not like uh, if you're a Buddhist and you've decided to take on the five precepts, they're going to push you out because of that. But you have to keep trying to work on these things. You have to keep trying to trying to improve and trying to see that, okay, well, I've, you know, the, the other, the other four precepts. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. I've got that. I'm, I'm good at that. This is great. And this is, this is a really good thing. If you can like not, like lie and steal and you know, commit sexual misconduct and all these kinds of things. You, you, yeah, you are a really good person already. Like there's nothing, there's nothing to take away from that. But there's this maybe there's this area that you're lacking in, and that's you know that's fine. That's totally fine. 
but you have to try to work on it because this is this is something this is going to be of of, of benefit to to not only you but to those those around you as well so you know we're not saying that if you you know the 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 buddhist conceptualization of the five precepts and the 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 standpoint around them is that is not if you break one of these you're you know you're you're eternally damned and you know you're 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 cast out and you're you know you the 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 buddhist community runs around with pitchforks and chasing you out of town kind of thing there's it's not it's not like that it's but there is the aspect there is if you take on this framework you have to keep trying you have to keep trying to improve you know monks we have just a ridiculous amount of rules just so many rules uh, I, I, I'm honest, you know, hand on the suttas, <laughs> and, and on the, uh, yeah, I, I don't keep them all, all the time. I break them sometimes. I, you know, there's so many of them. I fall off. I make mistakes. I, I, there's, uh, like there's rules there and you just forget about some of them. It's like, oh yeah, I've, yeah, I'm meant to be doing that. Aren't I? I forgot all about that. Or sometimes, just because of habits, you just I like I break these and I fall off. But the way our monastic rules are set up is that if you realize that you've done something wrong, then you tell somebody. You tell another one of the monks. I've done something wrong. It's like, oh man, I did this thing. I uh, I did this thing. I know, you know, I know it was like it wasn't the right thing to do. But I'm going to try to be better. And you know, as monks, we're like, yeah, good. Good. Try to be better. Try to improve. Try to improve. Next week, man, I did it again. <laughs> okay, just keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Next week, oh, I did it again. Okay, keep trying. So, and that's the. As I said, this isn't about doing one particular thing. The moral habits that you have. It's not one particular thing. It's about adopting that lifestyle and and trying to trying to continually improve yourself. So no, it's you know. Uh, it's it's something something to to work on. You're doing the the four other things, awesome, good work, good work. Uh, work on that. Work on that. Uh, uh, be pleased that you are upright, able, uh, uh, moral, and upright in these other ones in these other areas. And this is just something to work on. So, yeah. Thank you, Arjun. Sounds like you're also saying maybe having a, someone like a Kalyanamitra, mm. who you actually. Are sure. totally honest with about yeah. falling down. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. What might be a help? Yeah. The, the last online question, if we have time. Oh, we have a question in the hall. Yep. Yeah, Dr. Jaya. Yep. Just another one. Uh, in the course of evolution mm. uh, the, uh, of a biological unit, habit mm. formation uh, mechanism is in the DNA. Yep. Because it is a necessary process for survival. Yep. So uh, Buddha speaks of these reasonable habits and unreasonable habits. Mm. Uh, actually, um, uh, the reasonable habits are things that are used uh, to survive. Mm. Uh, and it's a primitive mechanism because animals behave entirely on these uh, mm. uh, habits. Mm. And as you uh, evolve as a human being with the cortex working, you mm. can use your brain to reason out what is reasonable and what is unreasonable. Mm. Uh, that's uh, Buddha has spoken about this before mm -hmm. because the habit formation is in your system. Mm -hmm. uh, that is something that we have to deal with. Yeah, well, you know, and that's the thing. Habits they they serve a purpose. It, it makes it automatic for us to to uh, perform some 
get some kind of reward. Uh, it, it makes it easier for us to do that. It gives us a, like a mental shortcut to do that. Because if we had to, if we had to reason out and think of everything to get, if I had to, if I had to like learn anew every morning how to make a cup of coffee, I, I would get nothing done in the day. So these things do serve a purpose. But so we just have to, you know, it's important for us just to, uh, understand this process and be mindful of it and see where it's actually leading us, you know, like hardwire, you know, like hardware wise, how our hardwiring is leading us in a particular kind of way or it's leading us uh, in a good way or if it's leading us in a bad way. Yeah. And so there was, a, there was another question. Thank you, Rajan. The last online question is our own causes and conditions are what make us behave differently in the same situation to each individual. What I want to ask is whether sankhara and karma are the same or are these different? Can you, can you repeat that for me? So I'm not quite sure how the first yeah. half relates to the question. The, the statement is our own causes and conditions mm are what make us behave differently in the same situation to each individual. Yep. What I want to ask is whether sankhara and karma are the same or are these different? Okay, so... Maybe the, maybe the shorter answer to that is uh, are they are they are they the same? Or is sankhara and is karma the same, or is it different? And um, so the the short answer is is they're they're inter they're intertwined. The sankhara. So anybody that doesn't know sankhara is a any kind of formation. And if you're thinking of it in terms of the Buddhist five aggregates, it's it's like a it's like a uh, 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 like a mental formation. Now our mental formations that we actually have this is the thing that is uh, uh contributing and creating our karma this is the, the the more whatever we're formulating is the thing that's pushing our karma forward it's put, pushing it in a particular kind of way so if we're in the the causes and conditions the context that we find ourselves in obviously we're we're acting in a particular kind of way and you're sort of you're, you're sort of you're you're just responding to different kinds of causes and conditions like the sankhara is there that is like pushing you in these particular ways that's making you develop this kind of this the the particular kind of karma so they're really they're really interrelated but the 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 karma the action is a result of the the sankhara and but then also that you know the the formulation of a sankhara is a kind of action so it is actually a kind of karma as well so it's it's very very hard to disentangle both those things but if we speak generally and a little bit more easily Sankara occurs, a formation occurs, and there's some sort of uh, some sort of response from that action of of the formation occurring, and then that's causing some kind of uh, causing some kind of karma to arise. It may not necessarily be um, you're not receiving the karma back in that in that instance from that sankara, but you're making you're actually the sankara is the thing that's making more karma. So. 
hopefully, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. Well, it wasn't convoluted and confused. So. <laughs> Are there any other questions? We're, we're pretty much right on right on time as well, anyway. So, um, yeah, if if that's the case, well, hopefully, hopefully, as I said, anything that I said today, hopefully, it was uh, beneficial and helpful for you in some way. And you know, you don't have to don't have to take everything that I said as as as, as gospel truth and, and go back and think about it. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. There's no problem with that. So, but yeah, hopefully some of the things I did say was has helped you in some way and hopefully it can be a benefit for you, for your life and your practice. And so is there any uh, announcements or anything that need to be made beforehand? Yeah, okay. So uh, after this, after this, there's a communal lunch if you all want to be involved just over, over in the Vihara there. So, um, yeah, okay. So thank you all. So we'll, we'll end by, by uh, paying respects to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha three times.